0: Hello fellow gamers and welcome to the multiplayer gaming podcast. I am your host, Paul, and I am recording a short solo introduction here for this episode because you just happened to catch us in the middle of a weird week. Uh, Josh and his family are out on vacation in Colorado, enjoying the beautiful scenery. And a couple days ago, my wife and I had a quick two-day getaway to Vegas. So the three of us were not able to record our normal bonus round episode. So we have decided to release a previously recorded episode This one here is called Top 5 Gaming Quests, and this one was recorded by just me and Josh when we were a two-man show back in August of 2021, Uh, so you won't hear Ryan on this episode because he had not joined us quite yet. Although I do need to say, I want to give Ryan kudos, because when he first joined, he even recorded when he was in San Diego with his family. Uh, Josh and I are apparently a little bit more selfish and just wanted to enjoy our getaways. Uh, but in any case, we didn't want to leave you guys hanging with no content whatsoever. So we are going to go ahead and play this one here. I remember having an absolute blast recording this one with Josh. I'm going to go ahead and bypass the initial chit-chat in the episode. I'll just play the intro music. We'll get right into it. And... And I don't recall offhand if we mention any community nights or anything with dates or special codes. If there's anything like that, it's probably out of date just to give you all a heads up. So we hope you enjoy this Rewind episode and we will be back to our regular schedule moving forward. This will be the only one where we play an older episode. All right. Well, thanks so much, guys. Hope you enjoy it. for a very long time, did not even keep a list of possible ideas for bonus rounds. And every time we record, we scramble the day of, and we start saying, Hey, what are we going to do? And there are some weeks that you and I throw out like six, seven ideas each, and we're just not really feeling each other's (laughs) ideas. And today I was like, Hey Josh, uh, bonus round ideas. And you're like, how about top five quests? And I was like, Let's do it, buddy. I, so I, was, I was a little
1: shocked that you yeah. agreed so easily, and then and and then this is no lie. You can vouch for this because about twenty <laughs> minutes later, I went, Paul. This is really hard. I, I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Like maybe we should do something else. And you were like, Nah, man. I've already started looking.
0: <laughs> I did not have trouble with this list, and at first I thought I might because I have just recently talked about a lot of quests that I would normally have in my top five. I have talked about my love for the suicide quest at the end of Mass Effect 2. I recently talked about killing Micah in Red Dead Redemption 2. So I left those things off of my list. I went with all new quests that we have not really talked about at all. I'm very excited to do this because I love storylines in games and being able to talk about quests inevitably pulls in some of the story. I'm excited to do this. I hope you are too. These are not going to be in any kind of particular order. We're just talking about our top fives. I kind of feel like this could easily go two and a half, three hours if we really wanted it to, but we're going to try to keep it to about an hour and we'll see how it goes. I've already warned you, Paul, that there's a couple of these that I could easily talk for
1: an hour straight on to just dive in. So we are going to try to condense them into, you know, like summaries. Sure. I make no promises that I won't get sidetracked (laughs) and really just start geeking out and, and saying why I love these, you know? Um, But yeah, so hopefully it comes across well. It's just, it's one of those things where in my mind, this is what makes games amazing. Right. And go kill five wolves is terrible. Developers stop (laughs) doing that. It's lazy. It, It really, it's just laziness at that point, man. And so I feel like the stuff we talk about tonight is really going to be good. You know, um, I think so too. Oh, hang, hang on, dude. Just leave. Sure.
0: It. <laughs> uh, Josh is running out of his office. I have no idea what's going on. I'm guessing someone's at his front door. Riveting, riveting content here. All right. Yeah, Josh, I think you're right. I think this is going to be a fun time. How about you kick us off? What are one of the first five that you have?
1: Oh, man. Okay. In no particular order, but I I am going to start off with one that is absolutely hilarious to me. Now, you may not get this one, Paul, because famously, I don't think you finished this game. Um, But the quest is called A Night to Remember, and it is from Skyrim. Okay. okay. Now we all know that Bethesda—they—they they make great quests, right? Some of the most memorable quests are going to be from Bethesda, and Skyrim is filled with amazing ones. Uh, I mean, you remember the—the the vampire one that you got—you know, you inadvertently did. I think that was Oblivion. I can't remember yeah, if yeah, that Oblivion was or Oblivion or Skyrim, but that was actually a quest line that you didn't even realize you had done. Um, but yeah, in a night to remember. <laughs> This is this quest is crazy. So basically what happens is you're in a town, you go into a tavern, and you meet a guy uh, named Sam that just starts chatting you up. And he's like, hey, you look like you know how to have a good time. Do you want to have some drinks with me? And if you agree, this starts one of the most crazy quest lines that
0: I have seen in a video game. Now, are you familiar with this at all? No, but I will say all good quests start at a tavern over an adult beverage. So I already love where this is going.
1: They really do. And I love the way that this quest line plays out. And I love the way that they tell the story about this one. So basically you agree to drink and you each have a drink and then you say, Hey, that was pretty good. How about another? And you can see where this is going. And every time you respond, your guy's words are a little bit more jumbled up. So you can tell like this is quickly turning South. And You know, the guy's like, hey, you know, you're really a lot of fun. I know a place where the wine flows like water. We should go check it out. How about another drink? And then we'll have a great time. And you, you know, you say, sure, it sounds great to me, you know, and then (laughs) the screen just goes black. And then you wake up and you wake up to this super angry priestess who is yelling at you because apparently you've passed out in this temple. Uh Uh-oh. And you have no idea what's going on. Your your character's super hungover, and she's mad because she says that you destroyed the place, and you're just trying to figure out what
0: happened. <laughs> this is almost like the hangover, but in Skyrim. Yes,
1: exactly. So before she will help you, she says, look, you went ballistic last night. You trashed the place. You need to clean up your mess. And you have to go around and you have to pick up all the trash from this temple that you apparently <laughs> threw everywhere. And as you're picking this stuff up, you're picking up a giant's toe. You're picking oh up goodness. these Hargraven <laughs> feathers. You're picking up like a cowbell, right? Like uh-huh. you're just, you're picking up all this nonsensical stuff that it, you're like, what the heck? So once you pick everything up, the priestess gives you a clue and she says, you know, uh, you had mentioned this town. Uh Rothrick or whatever the name of the town is. So maybe you should go there because that's I remember you mentioning that, right? So it's like, okay, so you have to go all the way across the world to this town, and you see this farmer who instantly hates you. Like you don't even know who this guy is. And this <laughs> farmer's like, Oh, it's you. I hate you, man. Like, I can't believe you did what you did. And then you're <laughs> you're like, wait a minute, what did I do? And he's like, I want my goat back.
0: Oh <laughs> very then,
1: nice. Right? And then you're like, wait a minute, goat? And you're like, I don't remember a goat. And you're like, yeah, it's uh it's Gelda. She was my prize winning goat. You stole her and you sold her to a giant, and I want her back if I'm gonna help you out. And then you're like, Okay, well, I don't remember a giant, but okay, like I'll go find her. And then sure enough, there's this big giant dude you have to fight to get the goat back. And then when you kill him, <laughs> of course, when you loot him, you get a giant's toe, uh-huh. right? So I think you can see where this is going, right? Uh-huh. Oh, man. So you bring the goat back to the guy. The guy's like, oh, my goat, yay. And he's like, okay, well, now I'll help you out. Uh, in your drunken stupor, you mentioned uh, a lady named Ysolda that was from the town of Whiterun, right? So then you're like, oh, my goodness, I went to Whiterun, too? So you travel to White Run, you track down Yasuda, and she tells you, "Hey, you know, if you're not getting married, I want that ring back that I gave to you." <laughs> and you're like, "Wait a minute, what? <laughs> what ring are you talking about?" So apparently, you tell this story to Yasuda because she's like a jeweler, I guess, or something like that. And she, you know, how in love you are. You you met the the love of your life under this tree. You shared dinner during the sunlight, or you know, during sunset. And, you know, it's your betrothed, uh, but you had mentioned that, you know, you guys fell in love at Witchmist Grove, okay? And apparently, the, the wedding is off, and she wants her ring back because she gave that to you because she wants lovers to, you know, get married and live a great life. So you travel to Witchmist Grove, and guess what you find there? Uh, a giant's toe? A witch! A witch. It's Witchmist Grove! Come on, Paul! <laughs> So as you walk up, this old nasty haggy witch comes out and she's like, Oh my love. Like you're finally back. <laughs> now we can consummate the marriage
0: and get married. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: you're just like, wait a minute. <laughs> what is going on? Like I trashed a temple. I, I, I professed my love to this witch. I stole a goat and sold it to a giant. Like what is happening? You've traveled all over the state. <laughs> everywhere, man, like everywhere, and so apparently now that you've come to your senses, this witch doesn't look so good anymore. And you tell sure. her like, "Hey, we're not getting married," and she gets mad and she tries to kill you. So you have to fight the witch. Well, I guess a witch is called a hargraven or something because this is where you get the hargraven feather that you find in uh, the temple, yeah, yeah. right? And so it's just this—it's this amazing quest line of absolute insanity, and you kind of play it backwards. In like sure. the order that happened. Now, ultimately, what happens is all of these people kind of give you these clues and you wind up going to these ruins where the guy that you started drinking with is having a party with a bunch of people and you finally catch up with them. And you were just like, dude, what happened? And he just laughs at you and then he reveals his true form and he is the Daedric Prince of debauchery. Named sanguine oh. right and then so <laughs> well he's named. just like right yeah and then so he's just like that's the most fun i have had in a thousand years the world needed you to be unleashed on it uh you know and it, you find out that all of this was like by plan and he was just trying to have a really good time and you were just the cog in that wheel you do get this really cool staff as a reward for it that lets you like summon a Daedric Demon or something like that. So it's actually a pretty good reward in the game. But this quest line was bananas. And it's just one of those things where you could play this game eight different times and
0: never come across this quest. Well, that's kind of the thing with Skyrim. Like It's almost a collection of side quests that you kind of play together. Yeah, what a funny idea and what a neat quest. I will say... That definitely borrows very heavily from The Hangover, even to one of my all-time favorite jokes, which is when the one guy has married the adult entertainment woman, (laughs) and then finds out that he gave her the ring he was going to use to propose to his girlfriend, and he says, that was my grandmother's holocaust ring, and Zach Galifianakis says... I didn't know they gave out rings at the Holocaust, which is <laughs> one of the funniest lines. But the fact that even like the marriage and the ring being in both mediums—that's that's very funny. I'm glad that they took the idea of the Hangover and they ran with it because that's a very funny formula for comedy and discovery.
1: It's just amazing. I was, I was, I wanted to remember all the steps in this quest because this thing stood out to me. I, it's like I said, I love Skyrim, and this is one of those reasons why. Because in the serious world of fighting dragons and you know Dovakin and that kind of stuff, the fact that you can go on this just insane oh, wow. night filled, you know, mess of a of a quest and not even realize it and then have to learn it all backwards is just amazing. I love that that stuff exists in the game, um, and it was just hilarious. But it was funny because as I was watching some video on this, the guy that was doing it was like, you know. This happened to me, and when the priestess told me to clean up the temple, he said, I just noped out of there and I didn't do it. Oh, and he said, so, that's and hilarious. I missed out on all the quest. He said, I had no <laughs> idea until somebody posted it. And he was like, So now I want to go do this quest again, you know, and actually go through with it. So it's kind of neat because at any part, you can just give up and go on and not. Yeah, he's like, I'm realize. not a janitor. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah, he like, cleaning up
0: that mess, man. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> Oh, how funny. I can't believe that that's the first one that you bring up because my first quest is a little bit similar to yours. Mine also takes place in a saloon that involves some adult beverages. I know you've played this quest. I'm going to see if this might jog your memory at all. Lenny! Oh, Red Dead Redemption 2. Red Dead Redemption the night, 2. The night where the they just
1: party all night long. Oh yes. my goodness,
0: yes, Paul. Dude, this is one of the funniest three to four minute stretches in a video game ever. Ironically, the name of the quest is A Quiet Time. And basically, in the context of the game, you know, Red Dead starts off. Kind of a bit of a downer, like it's in the middle of winter, you're trudging your way through this snowstorm and people have died, and this is a major turning point in the game. Basically, you have moved to a new camp, you have stolen these bonds and you're on the run, and Lenny is one of your crewmates who comes back into camp and says that Micah has been arrested and is awaiting execution for murder. And so he has, like, run into town. He's a little bit of an emotional mess. Dutch puts you in charge of saving Micah, but you can't do that until the next day. And so Dutch says, why don't you go take Lenny into town, buy him a drink, but he stops you and says, Arthur, no crazy business. And Arthur says, I've given that up. So Arthur's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm the mature one in camp. I can take care of this. They go to the saloon. They order beers. And it starts off really somber. They're talking about Micah, and they're like, I'm really worried about him. He's kind of a psychopath, and I I don't know if he should be with us. And then all of a sudden, the game just kicks into a montage where they're just slamming beer after beer after shot after shot. And then all of a sudden, as Arthur, you're chatting up the piano player while he's going to town on the piano. And you don't know where Lenny is. And so you're stumbling around, you know, the game's got the warped vision. Your player can't walk straight and you're just like yelling at everyone. And you're like, Lenny, have you seen, have you seen Lenny? Have you seen Lenny here? And then all of a sudden you see Lenny is standing on top of the bar in a fight with a bunch of guys who are ordering drinks around the bar. And so you run up, the piano stops. And it looks like you're gonna get into this like fight to the death. And then it just cuts to you in a can can line with those guys that Lenny was fighting, and all of you are just dancing. You're having this great time. Uh Arthur once again loses sight of Lenny, and you just start asking everyone if they're Lenny. Because everyone looks like Lenny to you. Now, I was gonna as say as all you're... the characters start looking yeah. like Lenny. <laughs> yeah. And like you'll you'll ask one person, you're like, Lenny, there you are. And then all of a sudden it turns into a woman. She's like, do I look like a Lenny to you? (laughs) So, you know, Arthur and Lenny, they go out for this night on the town. And then it ends at the very end where Lenny and Arthur are just slapping the crap out of each other, going back and forth, like in a slap fight. And then Lenny says, you're a good friend to me, Arthur. And then all of a sudden the police, not the police, I guess, like the sheriff shows up and starts chasing you and Lenny, because you have caused all of this destruction in the saloon, Arthur starts yelling, you'll never take me alive! And then in my playthrough, because he doesn't really walk straight, I ran into a tree, and then he just falls over and passes out. So, you know, I really loved that quest, because it brought some much-needed humor to a game that had been relatively serious, and that was the moment when I knew I fell in love with Red Dead. That. And the
1: thing that we need to to point out on this is this entire, like, scene or series of scenes is all, like, in-game movie-type thing. Like, you're not walking around controlling your character. It's like a cutscene. But it is one of the most well-done, put-together cutscenes in a video game. Like, they tell... This thing tells a story like Pixar could. You know, in just a short <laughs> amount of time, you are there with them. You are partying with them. You see them go from like this somber, just reminiscing to this insane party happening to losing Lenny and everybody looks like Lenny to running from the police. You know, I mean, it's just the progression of this thing is absolutely incredible. The second you mentioned that, I knew exactly what it was, because it does stand out, man. theres I can't think of many cutscenes in a video game that I remember quite like I do that one. And don't you wind up in jail the next morning, if I remember right? Or do you you wake wake up like on the ground outside? I can't remember.
0: I I believe you do wake up and that the sheriff's office had taken you if you run into a tree. However, when I watched some of these cutscenes online to just remember everything that happens during this quest you can actually completely evade them if you make the right turn oh, really? and Yeah, and there are different things you can discover in the saloon if you talk to certain people or open certain doors. But yeah, what a funny scene. I just love that it brought an, an actual really funny cutscene that really takes Arthur and makes him just so much more lovable, getting to see him in this kind of context. Because he's kind of a cantankerous entering middle-aged man in this game. And this is the one part where you can see a little bit of where he caused a lot of trouble in his youth. You know, Dutch even warned him. But, you know, Arthur just, you know, obviously fell back into into some old habits. That's too funny.
1: Oh, what a good choice, man. (laughs) I do. See, and that's kind of like the one with Skyrim, right? Like, these games where there's this kind of just, not serious all the time, but like, you know, there's an underlying tone to these characters and then when you get away from that and you completely do an about face 180 degree where is this nonsense coming from it's really cool because it 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 creates that memory you know that that part of the game stands out you know i mean there's something to be said for storytelling and world building and stuff but there's something to be said for not everything has to be so
0: serious all the time to make a game a good game exactly and especially in this one because there's like three different times that you think they're about to shoot or kill someone. And then it just turns into hilarious can, can dancing or a slap fight, whatever it might be. So it definitely plays on those expectations. Cause you're ready for the fight and it just doesn't really come.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love right, how what- fast it
0: just switches scenes <laughs> like that too. Yeah. All right. What-, what you got for your number two?
1: Okay. Well, after two you know, cantankerous quests that uh, don't fit their games very well at all. Um, <laughs> I, I, I hate to get creepy and somber on this one, but this one's, this one's going to be dark, man.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> all right. We're switching now, gears.
1: We are switching gears. We're going in reverse, buddy. Okay. So I, I, I mean, I can't talk about quests if I don't talk about the game that has the best quests ever. And that is Witcher three. Okay. okay. Now, Witcher three, if you Google it, is widely renowned as having some of the best side quests ever made in a video game ever. And I just remember there's not too many quests that really freak me out or that are so dark and creepy that it like, it sticks with me, but there's this part and it's, I want to say maybe the midway point in Witcher. It might even be a little bit earlier, but the Witcher three is renowned for, being dark and a lot of the quests being gray. Like there's no there's no right or wrong answer. You know, like you can't please both sides. And in this one, it's just, it's nuts, man. So it, it starts with another really, really c- creepy quest line that's the Bloody Baron that I've actually mentioned on a few shows where uh, you have to help him with his like miscarried baby that turns into this little demon a thing, monster. right? Yeah, so that yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. starts the whole quest line. Um, but in, in your trying to help the Baron, he sends you looking for his wife and you, you wind up kind of traveling around the area. You're also trying to track down Siri, uh, who is your daughter. That's kind of the overall main quest of the game. And as you do that, you come across this orphanage. Okay. With a bunch of little kids running around outside, they're playing hide and seek like, Hey, this is, you know, all friendly and good. And, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, we remember seeing like a gray-haired lady. And so you're like, well, I need information. But then the the lady that is running the orphanage comes out and she's mad at you for talking to the kids. And, you (laughs) know, she's like, you know, the kids are like, well, we'll help you if you play hide and seek with us. And you're like, oh, this is such a sweet little moment. Right. So you play hide and seek. And then the kids tell you about this guy named Johnny. Well, Johnny knows Something about Siri, and so you need to go find him. Well, Johnny is this creepy-looking godling, right? It's just like this little kid-looking thing, but he's got like gray skin and stuff like that. But Johnny can't talk. Johnny has lost his voice. And so you figure this out, and then eventually, I I don't remember the exact details, but you find out that these three crones have stolen Johnny's voice from him because they want to be mean to him. So you're like, okay, well, I guess I got to go help you get your voice back. I'll go talk to these crones, you know, to see if I can get your voice back. So you go talk to these crones. Now, Google the crones of Witcher 3. They are the creepiest things in a video game that you have seen. There are three of them. They are terrifying looking. They're horrible. Their voices are super creepy, I mean, this is the, they've they've done these guys right. Okay, so you go to talk to these crones, which no person in the right mind would ever do. But I guess if you're a witcher, you're not too scared of a lot of things. The crones <laughs> say, "Hey, yes, we have seen Ciri, but we need before we're going to give you any information, we need you to help us." And you know, they live in the woods or the bog or something like that, right? Well, there's another. The crones are hands down evil, by the way. So they say, well, there's another evil spirit that's in our territory, right? That's kind of competing for us. And we want you to go kill this spirit and then we'll help you. Okay. All right. So you go to this tree called the Whispering Hillock and there's this weird blobby spiky looking thing that lives under this tree that blood has been like dripping down to and it's just this like super evil presence. And you start talking to it And then it's like, don't listen to the crones. They're evil. They want you to destroy me. But if you do that, like the crones are going to be, you know, they're really bad. They're going to kill everybody in the orphanage. But if you help release me, I promise I'll save the children. Okay. So then you're like, I'm worried
0: where this is going,
1: right? So then it's like, okay, well, wait a minute. Everybody wants to save the children, right? But then you know, this hillock thing, this whispering hillock is super evil. Right. And it's like, okay, well, do you, do you, do you help it to save the children in the orphanage from the crones or do you kill it? Because like, it's way more evil than the crones are. So like, which one do you do? And so if you decide to help it, which I remember my playthrough, I was like, dude, I got to save these kids in the orphanage. Right. Like, sure. You know, of course. So you have to go like do this big long quest line. Ultimately, you have to bring this black horse to this tree and you have to make the horse drink the blood from the tree. And then the tree can possess the horse, and then the horse like runs off into the distance, and it's like, okay, but you've just set free this super evil demon evil presence into the world, but it does keep its deal, and it saves the children at the orphanage. (laughs) <laughs> so, okay. not
0: my problem.
1: Right? But <laughs> sure. what it also does is it goes to the town that's right next to the orphanage and it slaughters everybody in the entire town. Okay. All right. And then the crones get super mad at you if you, if you help the evil presence. And then apparently the crones have the bloody baron's wife in like, in, in, like servitude and they turn her into a water hag. And then the Baron gets really sad because his wife got turned into a water hag and she dies. And the Baron hangs himself because of everything that it's just, it's terrible, right? It's just a terrible quest line. But (laughs) if you help the crones, Right, if you kill the thing, the evil spirit, then the crones go to the orphanage and they eat all the uh, kids. No, because they're so like this they is, just this is too eat bad people. Choices. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's just like I just remember doing this quest, and I literally was like, I felt like bad inside, man. You know? Yeah. And I was like, I just set evil upon the world, Paul, but I saved yeah. the kids. You yeah. know, and then it's like, wait a minute, was that <laughs> worth it? Because in saving the children, I also slaughtered an entire village and I got the guy's wife turned into a hag and then the guy committed suicide. You know what I mean? But it's like the other way around the crones eat the kids, man. Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> we have talked about how we love when video games have consequences for your decisions. And this is like one of those great types of quests where there's not necessarily a right answer. There's some morally complex options and none of them make you feel good. But I think that that's really interesting. That's almost kind of like the, almost kind of like the trolley test in a weird way. Like, do you throw the switch to only kill one person or to let it go and kill one person or flip the switch and kill, you know, it's, that's very interesting, and that's definitely a very dark quest line. Dude, that, you that quest,
1: I, I mean, like I said, it starts with a terrible thing with the miscarriage and the demon baby and all that stuff, and it's just, like, that's The Witcher 3. Like, I, this, there, there's a reason that I talk about it. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's some hilarious parts in The Witcher as well. It does a good job of balancing it, but there's, like, I'll never forget that quest line, it like, till the day I die, because it was one of those ones where it was just insanely well-written, number one, you know, it's creepy. Like, when you're talking to the crones and you're talking to the spirit, man, you are getting creeped out. Like, the choices that you have to make are choices that no person should ever be put into that position, you know? And then you just don't know. So you have to make the choice. Like, this is part of the main quest line in the game. So it's not like you can just not do it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and they don't give you an option to just kill them all right you know, kill yeah all you the can't do that people. you
1: know and so yeah. it's it's just it's very interesting it's that's the way that quests should be written and the cool thing is is like once you make the decision you don't see it play out for probably another 30 40 minutes mm. and so it's like you make can't you just wait. quick load and say oh well let me see what else happens you know because it's like nobody wants to redo all that it's it's amazing, man. It's dark, it's scary, it's terrifying, I, I mean, but it's just one of those super memorable quests that really sticks with you.
0: Oh, how funny. I can't believe that for the first game we each picked, it is about drinking in a saloon. <laughs> and now for our second options, mine is going to come from a CD Projekt Red game as well. Uh-oh. But it's going to come here after this break from one of our sponsors. All right, Josh, we are back. I'm starting to think this is not going to be a top five for each of us, considering we've only gotten through two for you and one for me. So this Uh-oh. might end up being a top three, <laughs> top maybe three. top four. <laughs> yeah. Can we do top five and put a slash through it? And maybe we'll adjust it to three or four. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about, about cyberpunk 2077. Now we covered it on the show. We did not talk about the ending. You never finished it. You fizzled out on Cyberpunk. I played it through twice in a row because of how much I loved it. Despite all the technical problems, famously on PS4, this game was unplayable. But I have not heard a whole lot of complaints about the actual story. And I think most people who finished it found it to be really fascinating. So I am about to spoil... A ton of cyberpunk, including for you, Josh, but I think at this point you're not going to play it, so I'm assuming you're not going to care? No. And I made it very (laughs) close
1: to the end anyway, so I mean, I was 97% there. I don't know why I just fizzled out
0: right at the end, but... I can't believe you fizzled out on this one. So to kind of set the stage, I do have to give you a little bit of an idea of cyberpunk. But basically, inside this game, you have the Arasaka Corporation, which are like the big, evil, bad corporation. They do a lot of terrible things in the game. And one of the things that their corporation works with is a certain program called Soul Killer. And what it does is you can use it on a person, and it digitally copies everything in their brain, so their entire mind is copied digitally, but then it erases everything left in the brain. So it kills that body, but now they have possession, essentially, of that person's soul digitally. And they uh, they they force these souls that they have stolen to do different things in their network because these are basically like digital slaves that they can use for their own purposes. Now, they have also marketed this to rich people under a program called Save Your Soul, where if you are rich before you die, you have your mind copied over digitally. And then maybe at some point in the future, they can put you into a new body. But they don't have the capability of doing that. And so they're just storing these celebrities and wealthy people inside what they call Makoshi, which is like the digital world for these souls. So the whole point of the game is that Johnny Silverhand, played by Keanu Reeves, yes, was an enemy of Arasaka, and Johnny was basically a terrorist and goes to bomb the crap out of Arasaka, <laughs> and so he gets caught. They use Soul Killer on him. And basically, his mind is now copied. They call it an Ingram, and it's on a special prototype chip that ends up finding its way to you. You plug it into your head, and it has irreversibly started the process of Johnny's Ingram overriding your self inside your body. So slowly, you can feel more of Johnny. You start taking on his characteristics. It starts making you angrier, more like a terrorist. And you know that eventually Johnny is going to fully erase you and he's taking over your body because this new prototype is going to work where now he can possess your body. And it's not Johnny's fault. It's technically your fault. You're the one who put this unknown chip into your head and started the process. So the whole game, you're trying to find a way to save yourself and to reverse this from happening. You start off having a very, um, like, there's a lot of animosity with you and Johnny. But as you become more like Johnny and Johnny starts to become more like you, you end up developing this close friendship with him. And he turns into one of the coolest characters in a game. And so at the very end, you're presented with a few options for what you're going to do. You have some options as far as are you going to go attack Arasaka or are you going to seek their help? Are you going to let Johnny take over your body for the final mission, or are you going to keep him at bay and you're going to be the one to do it? And at the end of my playthrough, I'm just going to tell you guys what I chose. And so I had romanced a certain character named Pan Am. And at the end, I called her and I enlisted the help of her and her like nomadic clan. They're called the Al- Al- Aldecados, I think is their name. And so basically they come they help me uh, attack and fight our way into Arasaka and then you know Johnny was mad cuz he wanted to be the one to go in he asks to take over your body I said no and I basically go inside and I decide to basically use a certain program inside Makoshi to sever the tie and to reclaim my own body well they tell you that the program has done too much damage to your brain. They can reverse it and cut Johnny out, but there's been so much damage, you're going to die within six months. Or you can let Johnny take over the rest of your brain, and he can live a normal life now in your body. Oh, and wow. that's kind of a tough I choice, it, right? See,
1: I didn't make it quite that far. So that's a crazy choice, right? Is It's like six months of being you or mm-hmm. give somebody else a
0: second chance. And Johnny had his life, right? He chose to be a terrorist, and he died, and doesn't necessarily deserve a second life. Uh, But then at the same time, I've been an innocent bystander in all of this. And so the game definitely, you know, at, it, if you have a certain type of relationship with Johnny, he more or less kind of tells you that it doesn't really make sense for him to take it. He had his life. You should take yours, And so that was the option that I chose. So essentially, it's almost like Johnny is now gone. Uh, He just exists in this digital space, but he no longer has the possibility of living, and I get my body back, but I know I'm going to die. And so at the end of the game, I go off with Pan Am, and basically I abandon the city, because I kind of realize the horrors of these big evil corporations, and we decide to just leave and go live out the rest of my time until I'm dead living in the desert of Arizona, ironically where you and I live in real life and that was how the game ended. It was so bittersweet knowing that my character had to die, I felt like I must have done something wrong and so I quickly yeah. looked up the other endings that's the happiest ending Josh
1: <laughs> oh, my that's
0: goodness. that's the best way to end cyberpunk. Is with that ending, where you know you're going to die, but you're going to have six months of peace with your love interest, and then you're going to pass. And you've kind of learned to move on from city life and to kind of enjoy nature and what life has to offer. And that ending really stuck with me, because it was so complex and gray and not just a completely happy ending. And I've never forgotten that ending. And as soon as I beat it, I had to go back to my old saves and I made every other decision that I could make to play all of them out. And, you know, I don't want to spend too, too long on it, but one of the endings you can do is to trust Arasaka and say, I want you to perform surgery and remove Johnny. You, you guys are the evil people who are using Soul Killer. Certainly you can reverse it, right? And so they can perform the surgery. Johnny thinks that you're a moron and says, These are the evil people the whole time. You're betraying me. You're betraying everything you believe in to side with this evil corporation. They're giving you promises. I know they can't cash them, but you're going to do what you're going to do. And if you let Arasaka perform that surgery, you wake up where you're orbiting around Earth in a space station. And they're giving you all these tests. And you cannot solve a simple 2 by 2 Rubik's Cube And they're asking you all these questions and you're confused and you can't answer them. And the answer to every question ends up being Johnny. So they'll ask you a question, you know, what should you do if you run across this situation and you you just say Johnny and then you're having nightmares and you're waking up and they're giving you the same test and you fail again. And and the answer to everything is Johnny. the, The removal has not worked. And now you're going to die. Anyway, because they say there's too much damage. We couldn't save you. So then at that point, you're given a choice to either just go back to Earth and die. Meanwhile, your brain is broken. You're you're gone. Or you sign a contract for the Secure Your Soul program where they're like, well, now you can live forever, but you're relinquishing all human rights because now you will be digital property of Arasaka. But we promise we're going to take care of you. And it's like, well, they just screwed you over making all these promises <laughs> for the surgery, but you can still choose it. So what a dark ending that you can sign away all of your human rights. And then you're in this creepy lab where you're sitting down where they're going to basically kill your body and take over your soul digitally. And it is, that's a dark, dark yeah. ending. But it's really cool, like the whole idea of like being immortal and being able to like put your mind into these computer programs. I think that it kind of dives into some really interesting aspects of sci-fi, and some of those are just so dark that it, it really stuck with me. There's very interesting endings to Cyberpunk.
1: It's just cool because when these are not situations that we are put into, you know, in everyday life, right? <laughs> so right? It's like, certainly not. <laughs> so when a game puts you into that situation you actually have to think about it and you have to make that choice. And these yeah. are not choices that are made in in normal life. And so to number one, be put into that situation, you know, to say, well, what would I do? Would I trust the company that, that did this? Would I take six months and know that that's the end of it, you know, but live it my way? You know, you, you start to like Johnny, right? Like he's a likable oh, yeah. dude in the game. And so... There's that whole aspect of like, well, I mean, he's kind of likable. Maybe I just give it over to him and, you know, feel like I'm helping out a bro you know, <laughs> kind of thing or something.
0: It definitely plays out like a Black Mirror episode, The all of cyberpunk at the end. And, you know, that's one thing, too. You can give Johnny your body where you just say, you know what, Johnny, you've got a second chance at life. You were a terrorist and you were really angry and aggressive and you've learned from that. And you can just say, that's fine. You can defeat Arasaka, let Johnny take over your body. Johnny wakes up, and it's got his voice, but he can still hear your voice in his head. And he is sad that you're gone. And he even like leaves a little memorial for you and your body at the crematorium. Um, Even though your body is still there, it just now has Johnny's mind, but he purchases a little plot to memorialize you. And then he just leaves town to go live this new life. So even that's like a really interesting ending where it makes Johnny almost like the main character, even though it was really the character that you play named V. So even that whole idea of like giving, you know, sacrificially giving your body over to Johnny is a really interesting one. It's very sad and somber. You could almost argue that that's a good ending, but none of them leave you on an emotional high note. They all have elements Of of real sadness or like injustice, which is really interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. The balance the balance of that is great. Like, I I mean, I famously I talk about my disappointment with Cyberpunk, but it was the the questing in that game and the plot was very good. It was just marred or obliterated by really really (laughs) poor technical issues. issues That it you know it's sad. I'll probably wind up going back to Cyberpunk in like a year when everything is all worked out and it's not buggy and stuff, to really experience it the way that I think it should have been. But yeah, they they did get an awful lot right with that game. It's just sad because it was just overshadowed by how terrible the technical aspect of it was.
0: Yeah, that's exactly the case. There's so much good to it, but it was just so horribly marred. All right, Josh, what you got for your third?
1: (sighs) Okay, we'll try to speed this up a little bit, but this one, I'm going to nerd out a little bit here. Now, there's probably... Six people out there that are going to really, really nerd out with me. Um one of them is uh if I remember right, is in our Discord server. I haven't seen him in a little while, but it was like Soul Bard or something like that. The most epic quest, Paul, that has ever existed in any video game ever. Okay. <laughs> okay. I I mean that's a bold claim, but this is this is true. I I you know i if you're out there and you think differently by all means argue with me uh, you know on discord or twitter or instagram or whatever but in everquest okay uh, now okay. you will appreciate this a little bit because you were so into world of warcraft and i'm sure it had something similar but in everquest there was the most monumental quest line that you could undertake to get your class's epic weapon is what they called it not legendary right like these were your epics at the time Um, and if you saw somebody that had their epic weapons, it was people would crowd around them. I mean, legitimately, there would be a horde of people surrounding this character. Every class had its own epic. Um, you know, it was, it was just massive. If somebody had one of these, because the quest line to do this would take sometimes months like legitimately months. Now I played a ranger and I remember the first time I ever saw a ranger. Now the cool thing about the rangers were they had two epic weapons because they would dual wield, right? Mm. And so every other class had one, but the rangers had two, but because of that it was they were some of the harder epic weapons to get in the game. Now famously clerics, every guild out there would try to get their cleric their epic weapon first because it had what they would call it they called it the click stick because they could resurrect using the the epic right and it was on a short cooldown and things like that um but to give you an idea of this i looked it up because i remember doing most of these steps but i don't remember every little step that was involved there are 13 major steps in the quest to get your epic weapon okay and there there's you know they might be as little as just talking, finding a character that's in a town and talking to them and in an EverQuest. You actually had to type out like hail, you know, and then you would hail the yeah. NPC and then they would respond and then you would have to like type out, you know, a question or something like that. So there's 13 major steps. There are 38 subquests. <laughs> right. No <within> easy feat. <laughs> in the 13 major steps that would take you all over the world, I mean, the entire world, they would take you to raid bosses. They would take you to extremely high level zones. They would take you to places that no player hardly ever went because there was nothing in that zone to find like a rare NPC spawn, you know, and you would have to farm these mobs for hours and hours or days and days hoping for this super rare drop, right? Um, You had to fight these things called like, I forget what they were called. It's like some kind of reavers hoping for a lump of clay. And dude, I remember to this day trying to farm that lump of clay for, I think it was three <laughs> weeks straight before I finally got oh. one. And when it dropped, it was the most amazing feeling ever to be like, Oh, Oh, I finally got the lump of clay. But then it was like, you still have 20 more steps to go. And the insanity on this is like raid bosses, right? Like, like Rangers had to get a drop from this guy in the plane of hate. And I don't even remember his name now, but I think we killed him as a guild probably 13 times before he dropped like the sphere that I needed to be able to get one of my epics, you know? And it was just like, it was the hardest, most monumental thing in any game ever. Uh, I still remember that Swift wind and earth Caller. Were the two epic weapons, they had lightning kind of crackling up and down. The abilities were amazing because they would slow um, monsters, and then they would give you speed boost, too, like permanent speed boost. But the slow would slow down like monster attacks, so you had to have these for raids because it would lower the DPS of these raid bosses. You know, it was just... It's hard to explain, but like I said, if you went through it, it was... Incredible, I'll never forget the day that I got like both of my epic weapons, and I got to be that guy that was standing there in Freeport with like this crowd of like 50 characters around me, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like looking at them and just feeling like it was the most amazing achievement ever. Uh, and I like every class felt that way, it wasn't just unique to me, but getting them was absolutely monumental.
0: Yeah, that's so funny. There was definitely. A similar correlation in World of Warcraft. So the very first raid that you do is called Molten Core. And it had a cooldown of a few days. Or maybe it was even six days. Something like that. I don't remember exactly. But it would only let you beat each boss once until you'd have to wait for the cooldown to refresh. So there was automatically a limit to how many times you could run these raids. And warriors could get an item called Thunder Fury which was kind of similar to what you're talking about. It was the best weapon in the game. You had to get it for your main tanks. It would take months of farming these raid materials. And as soon as someone got one, it was so epic looking because in, in World of Warcraft vanilla, most of the weapons didn't look very good. They looked like common, normal weapons, but Thunder fury was this like huge enchanted wild looking weapon that you would notice it if someone was walking around with it and people would crowd around them, people would just not log out. Like they would just go AFK for an hour and just stand in the middle of Orgrimmar. So that way you could see their weapon and uh, I had something similar as a priest. I was the third priest in our guild to get mine. But similarly, you had to beat a certain boss, uh, Major Domo. And every once in a while, he would drop a certain piece of gear. And you would have to go and, and farm these other mats to get another piece of gear. And you'd have to run a final quest. And you could finally get your your best epic priest staff. And the cool thing about that is it would leave a trail of sparkles as you would run. And nothing in Warcraft back then had anything quite like that. So as a priest, I would run and you would see like this little trail of stuff in the air. And that just felt so cool to be able to earn that after months of raiding. And when WoW Classic came out, I ended up joining a guild. I got my Benediction staff pretty quick. And it was kind of fun to be able to do it again. But back in vanilla, not very many people had it. So it was definitely a real achievement.
1: Yeah, it's hard to describe to somebody because there's people probably going like, that sounds like so much work. Like, why? But the reward was worth it.
0: You know? And you were like, still working on other stuff in the meantime. It's right, like of course. you played for months for one thing.
1: But it was just this amazing, like, you would kind of get a few pieces here and there just from playing. But then the other cool part, the really, really cool part about it was, is... You could not do this without friends, right? Like you had to have your your close-knit MMO friends that would help you go do these quests because you couldn't, you know, you couldn't farm these mobs by yourself or you couldn't make it to this dangerous part of the zone by yourself, right? Or kill this mini boss or, like I said, with, you know, even the raid bosses and stuff. And so... You know, there were plenty of times where you would not have a whole lot going on. And so you would just help your friends do like a stage of their epic weapon quest, or they would help you do a stage of yours. And those memories and like the friendships that you would form with these online people that were willing to spend this time to help you do that stuff was incredible. You know, it really was. And it's whether you were helping them and then you felt good because they'd finally get the piece that they needed. And you're like, yay, well, that's like one out of 50. (laughs) but then they would help you do it too. It was just, it was some really, really good memories. And I talk about like, I hate grinding, you know, like famously like destiny Two I say is very grindy and stuff like that. But the reward in this case was the best thing in the game. There was no higher reward, you know? And so it was worth the amount of effort that you would put into. And back then content wasn't spit out so fast so when you got this, you got to like enjoy it for the next like four months, right? Like you got to be this like superhero character on the server for a long time before eventually, you know, hey, new raid bosses and finally better weapons started dropping and stuff like that. But it was awesome, man.
0: <laughs> uh, the last thing that I'll I'll add, at least on the Warcraft side, the funny thing about the final priest quest is that you had to prove your worth before you could finally summon that staff. And so you had to go do this special quest where there are injured people that you would have to heal while waves of enemies would run through. And the funny thing is that it was on a world global timer. So if anyone attempted the quest and passed or failed, you'd have to wait a couple hours until the quest giver would respawn. Oh, wow. And this was in a PvP area of the open world, and I played as Horde. And as soon as I got that item, I ran straight to the quest giver, and there were like three Horde priests and three Alliance priests, but no one would fight, and everyone would watch the one person who was up next, and if they beat it, everyone would do an emote to clap or to cheer. And so here it was like, this is the one and only way that you could actually see the alliance and the horde you know together cheering each other on we're just all of your fellow priests cuz we all understood how hard we worked to get to that point and that was a really neat moment too getting you know to to watch others and others would watch you as you would finally complete it yeah all right well i think this is going to be a top 3 yeah. <laughs> uh, quests, Josh, given the the time here. Unless we here. just do
1: some very quick hits after this. But
0: <laughs> Alright, so I have a, a little bit of a funny one here as my third. I, I felt like I had to pull a quest out of Borderlands because it's such a funny series. Like, immediately my mind went toward Borderlands and Far Cry and I knew I had to pick at least one quest from those franchises, if not two or more. So I decided to go with Borderlands 2 Claptrap's birthday, birthday bash. Yes,
1: Paul. It was <laughs> you almost have s- on my list. I oh, remember almost. this quest and oh. legitimately, I almost picked this one. I actually have a quest from Borderlands three, <laughs> but there's a very similar one in Borderlands two where they kind of recycled yeah. it. But yes, dude, Claptrap's birthday. Amazing choice. So funny. Paul. Tell, tell the story. Cause I love this one.
0: Dude, okay, so Claptrap is kind of like famously... You either love him or you hate oh, him. I if love you look Claptrap, up, by the way. I love him, too. I think the voice is hilarious. He always sounds so chipper, even as he says the most depressing stuff, because it's just how he's programmed. Yeah. He's just this programmed robot who runs around and says hilarious stuff. Or you find him really annoying, because I do see him on lists of most annoying characters. But basically, he invites you to his birthday party. He is turning seven... And so he invites you to the party, and you show up, and uh, there's no one else there, Josh. It's just you and Claptrap. Just you and Claptrap. And Claptrap starts, you know, awkwardly dancing. He's just this little robot, and you're just staring at him, and you're doing nothing. And the mission on the top right tells you to enjoy the party with a two-minute <laughs> cooldown, And there is nothing that you can do. You just stand there. And Claptrap starts saying some of the saddest slash funniest stuff ever. A couple of the voice lines are, I'm sure everyone just got lost. This place is kind of hard to find. And then he also says, Feel free to mingle with nobody. And so he's just like saying lines like this. He serves cold pizza. At one point, you're just staring at each other. And he starts fake coughing. Now, he's a <laughs> robot. A robot.
1: <laughs> you see, he's these just little he's, things. <laughs> It's the little things that he says and does that are absolutely (laughs) hilarious, man. It really is. It's the, the humor of, this is why I love Claptrap because whoever programmed like legitimately this guy in this game deserves an award because, yeah, man, that guy cracks me up.
0: Oh, it's so great. And then Claptrap has ordered a stack of like, 12 pizzas and it's just you and him and so when he offers you pizza then it gives you a secondary objective to eat a piece of pizza and then later he has you blow on a party favor so like one of those party blowers and then at the end you think it's like the saddest worst event ever and then as soon as the countdown ends and you pass the quest claptrap goes that was the best party I've ever thrown (laughs) And that's the way it it. is. He's so happy. (laughs) It's like, dude,
1: it's like you feel bad for this little robot. But man, if I could be that happy all the time, you know what I mean? Like, and and it's like you said, this is terrible. This is like things you see on the news where like nobody showed up to this poor kid's birthday, you know, and it's like, you know, it makes the news and then everybody shows up the next day and they throw him a big party or something. But Claptrap's just you're like, dude. It's this is terrible, man. Like, you feel so bad for him, and it's the most awkward party ever.
0: And the it's game the just longest forces two minutes. you.
1: Yes, the game just sits there and so forces long. you to endure this. And you're just like, <laughs> what is
0: happening right now? Like, why am I here? It's definitely a little bit of that Michael Scott, you know, office humor where it's very cringy and he's just so oblivious, but then so optimistic that it was his best party. And then it's just like, well, what did these other parties look like? Like, yeah. literally, no, it's <laughs> just Claptrap. Like, he's, he orders 12 pizzas and dances by himself. Oh, man, so funny. I, I love the Borderlands games. And uh, that one I had to bring up because I thought it was hilarious. I'm going to
1: let's do let's do two quick hits. That way we can actually legitimately call this a top five. And I, I promise right. I'll be quick. But I I do have sure. a, one from Borderlands 3 is called the sellout mission. In this one, you have to either kill yourself or you have to destroy these cameras. <laughs> because in Borderlands 3, if you remember, the, everything's like social media. the I forget who the sure. bad guy's name is, but you know they're always talking to their followers and stuff, right? And so she wants you to either commit suicide on camera or you need to go and shoot out all the cameras. And I remember playing this with Todd, and I was like, well, I'll do it. And I, you walk into this like box, and it just kills you. And you're dead, You legit die. Yeah, but then she (laughs) rewards you because she said, she's like, look, if you kill yourself, I'll give you a really good reward. And you get this gun that's one of the best guns in the game for the time, but the entire rest of the game, if you use this gun, the gun mocks you, right? And it calls you you a sellout. And it calls you like all these names all the time. It's hilarious that you can do that. If you shoot out the cameras, you get a whole bunch of money or something. It's kind of dumb, but it's like, and I know in Borderlands, too, they have that, where Handsome Jack tells you to kill yourself by jumping off a cliff, and you can actually do it. And then he's like, I can't believe you did
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, so that was one of mine. Uh, what's uh, You got another quick hitter?
0: Uh, yeah, this one's kind of hard to summarize, but in Dragon Age Inquisition, there's a quest called In Your Heart Shall Burn. And that's kind of a neat quest, because the whole game, you've been working at this camp, getting to know all the people. And then the big bad villain shows up riding on a dragon and they light the whole place on fire. You're running around desperately trying to save the townspeople while they're dying and being attacked. And then ultimately you end up aiming a trebuchet at the mountain that looks over the village and you hit it while it's covered in snow causing an avalanche that buries the whole town because that's the only way you can kind of stop the attack And you're kind of left for dead. A lot of the people in the town do die, but then you end up refinding your people. You end up going and then taking over another castle. And that's when they name you as the Inquisitor of the Inquisition. It's a very neat quest that has a lot of deep lore in Dragon Age, but that was one that definitely stuck out to me.
1: Yeah, because it's kind of like what's the lesser evil, right? Like, bury this like cause this avalanche kill a whole bunch of people by your actions or risk the entire village getting destroyed by this bad guy you know yeah. and kind of doing nothing
0: it's kind of your last ditch effort which yeah. is kind of a neat idea all yeah. right and
1: then last one for me this one's in fallout 3 it's uh, did you play fallout 3 the 10 penny tower does that ring a bell sure did yeah oh ten yeah, penny yeah i played
0: three new vegas and uh only a little bit of four
1: this was one where you thought you were doing the right thing, and then you realize that there really is not any kind of good solution. But in Fallout 3, you have the ghouls, which are all the disfigured radiation, you know, rip your face off, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but you come across Tenpenny Tower, which is where all of the elite, you know, non-ghoul people live. And it's very, very, you know, you know, this is where all of the society's elite people live. They don't want anything to do with the ghouls. They're nasty people that are below them. It's very it's got like very racist, you know, uh, like uh, overtones to it. Like I I would say, undertones, but they're just very obvious about it. (laughs) And then so they want you to just go get rid of their problem because the ghouls keep bothering them. And so you can choose to go just wipe out the ghouls and then the people are happy and they let you stay there for a while. Um, or you can go talk to the ghouls and the ghouls are like, Hey, it's not fair that they get to live in luxury. We're down here. We're starving. We're dying. You know, can you help us? And then you can either let them in, but they'll go and they'll slaughter everybody, right? That's mm. in the tower. Cause they're mad at them. But then you can kind of do this thing where you use some diplomacy and you negotiate on behalf of the ghouls and the people in the tower. Finally, you have to do this big long quest line. You think you're doing the right thing. The people finally agree to let the ghouls in. Everybody's going to live happily ever after. You're like, yes, I did it. You leave. You go do a couple other quests. You come back a couple days later, and it's just ghouls. And then you're like, mm-hmm. well, wait a minute. What happened? And you're like, did did the other people like turn into ghouls? Like, I don't understand. And then you go to the basement, and you find all the slaughtered bodies of all of the people that lived in Tenpenny Tower, The ghouls lived with them peacefully for two days before the ghouls went and killed everybody and then just stripped them all bare and threw their rotting bodies in the basement. And that's when you go like, wait a minute. (laughs) Like, wait a minute. (laughs) And then there's there's no happy solution here. But that was like, I mean, Fallout 3 is a while ago. So that was one of those ones where it was like, you legit thought you were doing the right thing and you went through all this extra effort to try to do it. And then you come back, and it's all for naught. And that's when you were like, "Dude, like you got me."
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, for a second, when you brought out Fallout Three, I thought you might talk about setting off the atomic bomb. Oh, in Megaton. the nuking! Yeah, the town. Yeah, because you well, can actually nuke it. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah, I remember that one. But that was <laughs> my that was my last one.
0: Yeah, the last one that I had was from GTA Vice City. It's the final quest of the main storyline called "Keep Your Friends Close." And I love Vice City. It borrows very heavily from other mob movies. So it's got elements of Scarface. It has elements of Carlito's Way, even Miami Vice, and and all of these different things are kind of like done in homage or parody of all of those other movies and, and shows. And basically, at the end of the game, the uh, leader of the mafia family that you had been working for is mad that you have not been paying him his due. You have taken over all of Vice City and you have stopped paying money up to Sonny. And so Sonny comes into town and you have prepared suitcases of fake cash that you're going to give him. And then it's kind of like, this is kind of a harebrained plan. Like, how is this going to work? So Sonny shows up and then you find out that Lance, your best friend and your number two for the whole game, has sold you out to Sonny. And he tells Sonny, these suitcases are filled with counterfeit cash. We got to go break it all out of his safe. And so then Sonny's like, "Well, well, Tommy, what did you expect me to do? Just take this fake cash and run? And Tommy says, I just wanted to piss you off before I kill you. And then it turns into the end of Scarface, where you are just (laughs) mowing down dozens of these mafia hitmen that keep running into the mansion. You're at the top of the stairs, just like Tony Montana. You're killing them. But meanwhile, Sonny is breaking into your safe. And so your money is counting down the longer you take the whole time. And then you end up running out. You end up killing Lance. You kill Sonny. And then just to kind of highlight the ridiculousness of GTA... The final dialogue in the game is where Tommy survives and his coked out lawyer is still alive. They're the only two left. And so Tommy turns to his lawyer and says, I think this could be the beginning of a beautiful business relationship. After all, you're a conniving, backstabbing two-bit thief, and I'm a convicted psychotic killer and drug dealer. And then the lawyer goes, I know, ain't it just beautiful? And then it just it ends. It ends That's right? the end of my City. <laughs> it's just so funny. It's clearly, you know, like like it's like Scarface but you end it before all of the tragic endings like you always get with every mafia or every drug movie. This just really ends on like that really fake high note and uh yeah, it's such a great funny mission, way over the top. Yeah. So, yeah, well there you go. We ended up getting our top 5s even though the last few were uh, a little rushed. But, you know, hopefully you guys enjoyed that there. Uh, we would like to ask you to please consider supporting the show. You can do that in a couple of different ways. If you are on an Apple device, you can subscribe to the podcast for a couple bucks a month. That helps fund the podcast and cover our expenses. You can also visit MultiplayerSquad.com, which will take you to our Patreon page. That will get you access to a couple of extra shows every week. And we really do appreciate your support. The only way that the show continues is because of supporters like you guys. So we definitely appreciate those of you who are already doing that. And then you can also leave a review and rate our podcast five stars. That's completely free, and it helps get our podcast out there to a bigger audience. And then, as always, we will be back on Thursday with our next episode for This Week in Gaming. And I think that's about it, Josh. So that was really fun. I'm glad we were able to talk about our favorite quests.
1: It really was. So I know there was probably a little bit of monologuing there to set those up, but you know, it's, this is what I love about video games, man. This honestly, like I don't watch a whole lot of TV. I do love movies, but it's these stories that we get from playing these games, you know, and these memories that we get that. Stick with you, you know, and, and these are the types of quests that we need in games, you know. Um, it, it, stop with the routine fetch quests and stuff like that. I know it <laughs> takes some more effort to do, but this is what makes
0: games memorable, you know. It really is. So, you know, I can't help but notice neither of us picked any escort quests, Josh. Yeah, surprisingly, isn't that crazy.
1: I, man. yeah, it's
0: almost like they're bad quests. I,
1: yeah, you know. I, <laughs> I don't know i either I have to sprint after the guy or have to walk really slow because he doesn't know how to yes. run, and that's terrible it's always in way. between
0: the two speeds, <laughs> right? All right, well, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. All right. See you everybody.